Welcome to Anchor Point, where we believe that the next 30 minutes could change your life forever. So join us to consider the greatest message ever heard, the good news of the gospel, as well as sound scriptural teaching for believers, all based on the Word of God, the anchor for our souls. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ was the great physician. How wonderful to have someone come alongside who was compassionate and able to relieve you of your sickness. He took away diseases. He gave strength to crippled limbs. He calmed the broken heart. The message today concerns the miraculous healing of a man born blind. Yes, Christ gave vision to this poor man who had never before seen the light of day. But, more importantly, the man received spiritual vision and came to believe on Christ the Lord and worship Him. Yes, just like the old gospel hymn says, I once was blind, but now I see, millions of sinners have had their spiritual sight restored by Christ. We were all born in darkness, with the terrible affliction of blindness as far as our souls are concerned. We can't see God, and we can't really see ourselves either unable to recognize the seriousness of our lost condition before God. In today's message, Evangelist William Skates talks a little about spiritual blindness and the remedy God has provided for it. John chapter 9, we'll read at verse 1. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and said unto him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way therefore, and washed, and came seeing. The neighbors therefore, and they which before had seen him, that he was blind, said, Is not this he that sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, he is like him. But he said, I am he. Therefore said they unto him, How were thine eyes open? He answered and said, A man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed mine eyes and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed and I received sight. Then said they unto him, Where is he? He said, I know not. And they brought to the Pharisees him that before time was blind. Now, instead of being pleased, the Pharisees, those religious hypocrites, were displeased. Verse 24. Then again called they the man that was blind, and said unto him, Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. Referring to Jesus, they called him a sinner. He answered and said, Whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. And so there's a dispute that continues and Eventually, they cast them out of the synagogue. Now, verse 35. 
Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I am come into this world, that they which see not might see. In other words, those that know their need can have their need met. And that they which see might be made blind. In other words, those that don't think they need the Savior, they remain in blindness. So that's the story of the blind man being healed. Now we'll come over to chapter 12 for a verse. John chapter 12, verse number 46. The Lord Jesus says, I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. Now, the Gospel of John is a beautiful gospel, and it's all about what Jesus said and what Jesus did and the people's response to him. And as John writes his gospel, the expected response is that one would believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He tells us so in chapter 20, verse 31. He says, But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. So the eternal blessing of such faith is life through his name, eternal life. And that's the theme of the Gospel of John. In fact, the Gospel starts in chapter 1 with that very thought. Concerning the Lord Jesus, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light in the darkness did shine, and the darkness did not perceive it. Men as a whole did not recognize the Lord Jesus for who he was, and did not believe on him as their Savior. We want to notice, first of all, the condition of the man from verse 1, and then we'll think a little about the compassion of the Lord. The condition of the man. We read that he was blind from his birth. Blind from his birth. A pitiful condition. This man had never seen the light of day. But the disciples, they have a question. They're wondering, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Their thinking was that this man or his parents must have been specially sinful for such a tragedy to happen, for him to be born blind. Strange thinking, wasn't it? How could the man sin before he was born so that he would in turn be born blind? But that is a common thought still today, in the spiritual sense, that only the worst sinners don't go to heaven. All right? I mean, the common thought out there in the world is that when people die, that most people go to heaven. At least that's the way they're buried. As though everybody who just dies, all you have to do to get to heaven is die. And most people are going to go to heaven. And only the very worst of earth don't go to heaven and wind up in that place called hell. Men like Hitler or Stalin or Saddam Hussein or whoever. Men that are mass murderers. That kind of thinking, my friend, tonight in the meeting is not right either. Because the Bible is unequivocal in this matter. There's no difference. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We are all as an unclean thing. 
and all our righteousnesses are but filthy rag. There's not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. God has already told us up front what he thinks about our human hearts and our human condition. And from birth, we have a sinful nature, said the psalmist. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. You and I come into this world with a sinful nature. It's with us from birth, right through life. And just like this man that was born blind and had a problem, you and I have got a problem. We were born with it. It's called a sinful nature. And that nature practices sin as we come to the age of responsibility. So naturally speaking, just like this man couldn't see light, you and I are not fit to dwell in the blazing light of God's heaven. Our very nature is not fitted for that. And what we have done in life, sin against God, disqualifies us. The Apostle Paul, as he writes to the Ephesians, describing the condition they were in before they were saved, he said this, Once ye were darkness. That's our condition, natural. Not able to walk in the light of fellowship with God. Not able and not fit to be in the light of God's heaven. By nature, we are darkness. Practice of sins is described in this way in Ephesians 5 as the unfruitful works of darkness. And far from having God as our Father, we are actually born and live under the power of darkness. So the situation isn't good, is it? For what we are naturally before God. Sadly, many folk wait their whole lives hoping against hope that they're going to make it into heaven and that the light of heaven will be their glorious domain forever. What a tragedy for folk like that to live and to die, to find out the truth of the matter, that they're not ready for heaven. The prophet Isaiah wrote these words. He said, we wait for light and behold obscurity, for brightness, but we walk in darkness. To die in one's sins would mean the blackness of darkness forever. Jude verse 13. And so you and I have a problem naturally. We are by nature sinners in the dark. And we need to be brought into God's marvelous light. Now the Lord Jesus had compassion on this man and his condition. And he has compassion upon sinners tonight. I want you to notice in verse number 3 as he answers the disciples question. He says neither hath this man sinned nor his parents but that the works of God might be manifest in him. Why did God allow this to happen in the first place? Well, number one, God did not cause it to happen. Sin with all its consequences has fallen upon humanity. But that the works of God might be manifest in him, that the Lord Jesus might demonstrate his power in giving this man his sight. Why did God allow sin to happen anyway in the first place? You ever think about that? Why did God allow sin to happen? Well, just as a suggestion, we would remind our hearts of this, that the works of God in redemption could never be displayed if it wasn't for sin being put away by the sacrifice of Christ upon the cross. And that's why the Lord Jesus Christ had come to do a greater work than give light to a blind man or cause the deaf to hear or make the dumb to speak or the lame to walk. He had come to provide redemption for us and to meet our need as sinners before God. That's why he came, to give eternal life to all who believe on him. So this man, then with the blind eyes, the Lord Jesus, he went to heal this man by spitting on the ground and making clay of the spittle. And then he gave him a command. The command of Jesus was this, go wash 
in the pool of Siloam, and the man obeyed. And when he obeyed, he came back seeing. He went to the pool for cleansing, but we find that as a result of obeying the word of the Lord Jesus, he got his eyesight, and what a new life would be his from that moment on, to be able to see things for the very first time he had never seen before. He got a new life too in that sense, didn't he? You know, those things are needed as well when it comes to the matter of God's salvation. You and I as sinners, we need life, eternal life. And you and I need cleansing, cleansing from our sin. And to be brought into fellowship with God and the very life of God. John, the same writer in his first epistle, he picks up on those thoughts. And he says, since we walk, speaking of believers, since we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And in the context with God and with the Son. Fellowship, the enjoyment of the same life. So walking in the light, enjoying the same life. We have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. There's the thought of cleansing. This man, he had to go to the pool for cleansing. And when he went to the pool for cleansing, he came back seeing, enjoying even a new life. What a new life then was his. Verse number seven, I want to think for a moment about his obedience. As soon as he obeyed, he got his sight for the first time. What a wonderful gift that was, the gift of sight. It was an act of power on the part of the creator that brought that man to be able to see. The Lord Jesus working with the clay, putting it upon his eyes. And then the man goes, he washes, and he comes seeing. It's reminiscent of the power of God in creation when he formed man out of the dust of the ground, breathed into man the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And the Lord Jesus here is demonstrating he is the Son of God with power. And as the Creator, he's able to give sight to a man that's blind. But remember this, in order to give eternal life to those of us that are spiritually blind, the Lord Jesus had to come from heaven and yield up his own life in death on a cross outside the city of Jerusalem, in order to obtain eternal redemption for us. I'm reminded of a story I read of a man by the name of Tom Little. Tom Little was an optometrist from New York, and he had spent quite a long time in Afghanistan. I think it was something like 30 years he lived in Afghanistan. He was a Christian missionary, and part of his work was to dispense help to the poor people of Afghanistan. In August 2011, he was on a trip to the villages in the mountains and in the hills, bringing healing and restoring sight to those that had cataracts and things like that, and was able to help his patients. But sadly, on the return trip to Kabul, the convoy was ambushed by the Taliban, and all the people in the party were massacred, Tom Little included. Later on, the president posthumously awarded Tom Little Presidential Medal of Freedom, which is the highest civilian award that can be given to a U.S. citizen. And the president said this, Tom Little was a humanitarian in the highest sense of the word. He could have pursued a lucrative career, but instead he was guided by his faith as he set out to heal the poorest of the poor in Afghanistan. He literally gave the gift of sight. And then he quoted from John 15, Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friend. Tom Little selflessly lost his life while giving the gift 
of sight. Just a very feeble picture, isn't it? Of our Lord Jesus Christ who gave his life. A ransom for all. That you and I might have spiritual eyesight. And that we might be brought from darkness into his marvelous light. From that condition of sin and sinfulness. Into the light of God's presence and be fitted for his presence. In other words, our sin put away. So the Lord Jesus said, I am come a light into the world. That whosoever believeth in me should not abide in darkness. Now maybe you don't think tonight in the meeting that you're in darkness. Maybe you don't feel that you're in darkness. Maybe you don't feel that you're blind. Let me put it this way. Am I talking to someone tonight in the gathering? And so far as the message of the gospel is concerned, you're very familiar with it, and you understand the logic of it, but tonight you can't say that you're saved. And you understand that Jesus died on the cross for sinners, but it doesn't mean anything to you in that personal, deep way that others seem to appreciate it. And for all the knowledge that you have, all the light that you have, you just don't see it. You know why you don't see it? Because you're blind. That's why. It's just what you are naturally. Well, how could you ever see it? There's only one that can make you see it, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ, and you need to trust him to make you see. I'll tell you this, guarantee, upon the authority of the word of God, the moment that you trust him, the moment that you trust him, he'll give you the understanding that you're saved. He doesn't leave people in the dark. Whosoever believeth in me shall not abide in darkness. If you know the gospel so well and you just don't see it, then let that in itself convince you of the fact that you're blind and you need Christ to give you spiritual eyesight. You ask him to make it clear to you. Ask him to make it clear your true need before God. Ask him to make it clear to you. His work on the cross for sinners. He'll not leave you in the dark. I noticed that no sooner did this man receive his sight than there arose a controversy. The man was so changed. They didn't believe it was the same man. Some said, is this he who sat? Is this the man that was blind? And some said, yeah. Others said, well, it's like him. And he says, I am he. They didn't even know if it was the same man. There was such a reality about it. It was indisputable that this was a man who could see. You know, whenever God saves an individual, they're changed. They're changed from the inside out. Their sins are forgiven. And they walk in fellowship with God. And they're definitely different. Absolutely. Perhaps you have known someone maybe close to you, and God has saved them, and you can see the change, and they are different, and it is real. It's a real thing to be saved. I wouldn't give the crack of my fingers for a person that claims to be a Christian. They just live constantly like the world with no remorse. That's not what God's salvation is about. God's salvation changes a person, and there's a reality about it. Religious people don't understand it. You notice here that these Pharisees and the religious leaders, they were not only unbelieving, but they were complaining that Jesus had broke the Sabbath. And they're thinking, in healing this man, they made up their own rules. And whenever the Lord Jesus didn't follow their rules, they actually said that he was a sinner. They were actually blaspheming him. How far out can religion be? Man-made religion. Man-made practices do not add one single thing to salvation. In fact, it keeps millions from Christ and from the reality of God's salvation. The man said, whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. But one thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I can see. Here was a man and he knew that he had been healed. 
And a person who has been saved has the assurance from the word of God that what God says is absolutely true. God says Christ died for our sins, therefore he died for mine. God raised him from the dead the third day. It says so in the Bible, I know it's true, God says it. And then I see this man moving in communion with Christ. Verse 35, do you believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? Jesus said, unto him thou hast both seen him, and he it is that talketh with you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. And he worshipped him. Now there's the test of reality. Let me ask you a question, my friend. Had your soul ever poured out in adoration, in appreciation, in thankfulness, that the Lord Jesus took your place on Calvary and died for your sins? Has there ever been that from your heart to God? Have you ever worshipped God in that sense? I'm not talking about going through a ritual or saying prayers or reading Bibles, kneeling at some altar or some other act in that way. I'm not talking about that. That's not necessarily worshipping God. Okay? But from the heart and appreciation, the Lord Jesus loved you enough to die on the cross to put away your sins. Have you ever been there? If your answer is no, then you need God's salvation. Because it produces a change and it makes ungrateful sinners thankful in the presence of God and brings from their heart a worship, even a word of appreciation and thanks to God for his son, took their place and died for them upon the cross. Has there been a time in your life when you received your spiritual eyesight? Have your eyes been opened to see and appreciate the Christ of Calvary? Have you recognized him as your Savior, the one who died on the cross to save you from your sins? Has there been a change in your life, a new song in your heart, an abiding sense of wonder and worship for your Lord? If not, then we would ask you to examine your foundation. Do you know Christ? Or are you just following a religious way of life? Have you acknowledged your sinful condition and turned to Christ for salvation? Or are you still trying to present your good works to God? Have you ever gotten to Calvary? We trust that today's message will make you realize your solemn need of God's salvation and that you will have your eyes open to see Christ for who he really is, the only Lord and Savior, and that you will receive him as your own. If this or any of our Bible messages here at Anchor Point has made you aware of God's interest in you, or if you would like some literature that would help you understand these important truths, why don't you drop us a line at anchorpointradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We're glad you were able to join us at Anchor Point today. Anchor Point is sponsored by believers in Christ who are meeting at various gospel halls. Each of these Christian assemblies holds gospel services every Sunday as well as other meetings such as regular prayer and Bible studies throughout the week. If you've been challenged by today's message and would like to know more about the truth of the gospel or of gathering unto the name of the Lord Jesus Christ following New Testament principles, take a look at our Anchor Point website at anchorpointradio.com. There you will find more information as well as the location, programs, and meeting schedules for the gathering center nearest you. Our Anchor Point messages are also available for listening and download at anchorpointradio.com.
My name is Glenn Todd. Thank you once again for listening. And we invite you to join us again next week at the same time for Anchor Point, where we believe that Christ alone is the anchor for the soul. <laughs>